56 straight hours of rifle shooting, Steve. That's what we need to call the podcast, by the way. We're just going to change the name of the podcast right now. It's going to be called Vising Double Black, colon, 56 straight hours of rifle shooting. The, 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 Vising, the Vising Double Black History Hour. <laughs> Sponsored by 56 straight hours of rifle shooting. Today we're going to be talking about uh, drugs during World War II. Drugs, uh, main, main, mainly the, uh, the 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 Germans have the biggest uh, contribution to the field of uh, people getting hopped up on pep pills during the war. But uh, you'll you'll see that uh, everybody was getting in on it. How many people were high during World War II? Rough estimate. Most of them. They're just high on high on pep pills or or other drugs, you know, fumes. Fumes. You know, the question I ask myself. I think that's why my grandfather didn't want to talk about the war, because <laughs> he was stoned the whole time. Oh my God! The army kid. They had me trying out these new pills. They were green. He just. He just. He just wants to get his hands on some Benzedrine. <laughs> they said they gave him the ball players. I said, well, if they're good enough for our boys back home. <laughs> so you're saying, saying these are the pills that give the babe his uh The Colossus of Clout? The Colossus of Clout? <laughs> what is, like, baseball players did, did abuse um, oh, the, these yeah. types of drugs a lot. Because they yeah. would... Because there was like the one journalist who was talking about it, about like sort of going into them abusing steroids, and how it's kind of hypocritical. Because all the all the ball players, even back like in the like in the early 1900s, you know, they were all like they were up late, you know, drinking and whoring, and then then uh, they played nine innings. I despise Keith Hernandez. <laughs> 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 he was talking about drink. I mean, dude, they, first of all, they were called greenies. And there's no way Babe Ruth wasn't on a mixture of greenies and primitive horse steroids. You know what I mean? Like, he was on some stuff. See, he was probably on some, some items that you could only purchase from, like, a vet. <laughs> like a vet. Just a vet walks up. I've got something for your players. Normally, I only prescribe it for Fido here, but... That man right there looks like he could use a little bit of energy. How about my new energetic tonic? That Ken Griffey Jr. Okay, skip. <laughs> oh, that was Daryl Strawberry. Okay, skip. Yeah, Daryl yeah, Strawberry was the one that kept calling him skip. Okay, skip. That's what Hitler said every single time. Uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Morell offered him a new Moral. drug. Yeah. Every time, that you know, he was like, you know, something's wrong with your stomach. You need to take... Okay, Skip. <laughs> I know you're not a drug user. I know you're a teetotaler, but you need to... Uh, you probably want to up your... Okay, Skip. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So, let's just jump so right I, the hell into it. So, our story takes us back to the year 1919 where a, a Japanese um, scientist by the name of uh, Akira Ogata 
he he synthesizes methamphetamine for the first time. Um, That's crazy. It, mainly, mainly like essentially um, getting the stuff out of ephedra that gives it that kick. Right, the ephedra alkaloid. Yeah. Yes, um, and then um, eventually um, the German company uh, Temmler in in nineteen thirty eight. Um, they synthesize uh, pervitin. Pervitan. Yeah. <laughs> Which is methamphetamine hydrochloride, and it's it, and it was like an OTC drug. Um, it comes like in a um, it comes in like a lifesaver like container from what it looked like. Did you look up any of the images of pervitin, like like the dosage characteristics and stuff like that that you can see online? Because I looked a bunch of it up, and it's like frightening man especially the pictures of hitler in like 1944 <laughs> she just looks fucking strung out it's it's like ridiculous you know it's a, i forget what it says it's like take one in cases of extreme exhaustion and if you take more than one it could be detrimental to your health it will keep you awake for up to 6 hours 6 hours my god that's like the original adderall xr apparently um which which i'll get into later is that you could still buy pervitin in in germany in both germany's until about the 70s and 80s yeah yeah that's actually uh that's part of that thing is that they i'm not 100 percent sure of the, of the date but well after world war ii they were selling it as like a uh like it was like that george carlin bit do you have listlessness you know are you listless you know, so you take uh, take a little pervy tan and uh, get your pep, get your pep up. Yeah, that was pretty much how it was marketed in the U.S. as well. There's yeah. like a bunch of ads from like the '40s where they're like, they're like Johnny here doesn't have a lot of pep in his step, but <laughs> once he takes some Benzedrine, he'll be able to to tackle the world. Johnny here was born with naturally low testosterone, but thanks to Pervitan, we can get him up and running in no time. Not only will he thank them, his wife will as well. <laughs> his wife will thank him just the same. She'll be so sore she won't be able to cook breakfast. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh so, my God. Originally, the, the dosage you would get, it was either in a 30-tablet um, oral form or it was in um, six ampulas, which are those little um, yeah, little glass vials. Yeah, and those were those were for injectable, um, and it was used to treat depression, um, fatigue, and other sort of ailments. Um, and in the U.S., they called it um, it was sort of uh, colloquially called a, a pep pill. And then in Britain, it was called the confidence drug. <laughs> Eisenhower's rage, just like industry names for it. Uh, Eisenhower stood up after taking this pill, ladies and gentlemen, just stood right the fuck up. No, wait, that wasn't Eisenhower, that was Roosevelt. (laughs) Got right out of that chair, started dancing, did a Lindy hop. Dancing the jitterbug. Did a Lindy hop right out of his chair through the Oval Office. (laughs) It was actually what killed him. (laughs) Wait, what killed him, the drug or the Lindy hop? Both. <laughs> it actually says on the Pervitin pills not to be mixed with Lindy Hops. <laughs> <You> fucking millennials. 
don't do any don't do any degenerate dance moves such as the jitterbug or the lindy hop <laughs> oh my god so then uh, it looks like you got uh i did not know this but it replaced cocaine for cyclists yeah <laughs> why is that so funny we'd use cocaine because in some places you know cocaine was uh yeah was was still a, still an otc drug and then two um apparently like dentists would use cocaine a lot because if somebody has like um severe like nerve damage in their mouth right. you can actually treat it with uh, cocaine and like, you can still get like the police um, officers do great cocaine on law and order like you know how like they like run run on the inside of their lip. They're like, mm, "Yep, that's the, that's that stuff." <laughs> it's extra virgin cocaine. <laughs> so you're saying Ice T would just you know be like, tell a wild story. What we about got it. here is we got a sword covered in cocaine and Dritzdo Erden. Um. So at that time, um. In, in in Germany, uh, heroin was legal until after the war. So so heroin doesn't get um, does doesn't get made illegal until then. Which um, is really interesting because Hitler was essentially a, a teetotaler, and and they mentioned that in the book in uh, Blitzed, that which is a great book by the way. Everyone listening should read that fantastic book. Um, but. They mentioned that in the book, like part of the reason. I don't want to go too far ahead, but basically part of the reason, you know, Morel was able to get him to take stuff is the way he sold it to him. You know, he sold it to him like it wasn't meth, basically. Well, one of the things too, which um, which, which comes up as well, was that he sort of had Hitler's confidence um, because Hitler essentially suffered from like IBS. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. like it's, it seemed like he suffered from like social anxiety. And that um, he had stomach problems because of it, and he was able to prescribe him like poop pills that, that had like E. coli in them that would. Um, I believe the uh, I believe the <laughs> the medical term is fecal pills, poop <laughs> pills. They would a poop pill. <laughs> ich bin poop pill. Das isn't eine. Das is Das ist eine pill. pill. <laughs> so heroin heroin was legal um it was seen as a non-addictive morphine substitute and it was only illegal at that time in in asia and the u.s so so most opiates at that time are only really illegal in in asia and the u.s because you know the the countries you know that that dealt with sort of like china and the opium war and stuff like that and then also too. This is nineteen nineteen or or during World War Two. This is this is like the twenties, okay. the twenties, the and that's why they were the Roaring Twenties. Because because opiates had been like outlawed in the U.S. like well before then due to racism against Chinese people. Yeah. Because because right. Hearst newspapers had run stories about how um, William the, how how, how Chinese men were like warring exploring white women into opium dens and then getting them addicted to like to opium you know these fucking white guys that they can never come up with something like back then it just i mean i'm not saying that all of them but like you know and why is the excuse always that the other race is luring the women folk and you know <laughs> it's so stupid yeah it, it's it's really the same reason why why right. marijuana 
became yeah. banned was is its association with like um black people in in jazz music exactly yeah devil lettuce um so um they they sort of had a um at that time they didn't really see addiction the same way we we see addiction today um i i I would honestly say even today we don't really have a good handle on like addiction and how to treat it like all that um but um they they kind of felt at that time that addiction was um that it was treatable and it was it was often caused by other things um that, that someone wasn't addicted to say um to say meth because you know that meth is a highly addictive drug it had more to do with you know character flaws and failures sure there was like an external locus there was like problem or no no no. i'm sorry internal like there's an internal locus where they had like psychological issues or something else like that and that caused the addiction and then if you broke the other issue you treat the addiction as well i think the problem was that we didn't really understand physiological addiction well yeah, I, I think it's that, and then too, like you, like you'll see too, like when they when they start introducing these things, they don't really think of of items as being like like addicting, like like we now know them to be. Right. Like they sort of attribute it to other things, like like oh, he can't stop because you know he's he's weak or he's he's degenerate. Absolutely, um, and we definitely still have that today, where that's like that's something that still carries on. Um. So, like, and two, it gets in with the the, the Nazis because one of the policies they had, which um, which, which sort of trailed into some of their policies with like the the T four euthanasia program, was that um, if they found that someone was like an alcoholic or or, or a drug addict and they couldn't, they they believed that they were in, incapable of being cured, mm-hmm. um, they would have them um, sterilized because they believed that um, that that sort of the addictive that their addictive personality was a trait that they could pass on to children but uh most of the most of the drug addicts at that time in in Germany were for World War one addicts um, just just people whose like bodies were either destroyed by the war or they're um, just just dealing with the psychological like problems that come with surviving the first world war which was um, brutal and, yes. Um, and then two. Do you um, find Herman that that's? Goring, do you find that that's before you go to Goering? Do you find that that's a underplayed concept in our current society? Because I think we kind of put World War II on a pedestal, so to speak. And without taking too far of an aside, I mean, what was it like? A quarter of the population of Europe died in World War One. Like an insane number of people died. And in far worse conditions, uh, as far as the war goes. Not speaking of the Shoah or whatever the Holocaust. Well, yeah, I, I think it doesn't get um, talked about as much because you know it was also um, just just a war that was fought for um, like n- not really any good reason. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely I've read the Guns of August, and it's you know I was waiting almost the entire fucking book for Barbara to tell me what the fucking reason was for the war and there's like so many different ones so it's like there's a million factors that lead up to it but it was just awful you know so a lot of those people mm-hmm. from World War 1 I, I mean I think it's like it's pretty obvious that they were they were going to be drug addicted but it's interesting to hear that because it was like a different society back then. They didn't really talk about, you know, mm-hmm. Uncle Joe's on the smack. You know, they just, <laughs> like. 
Well, a lot of a lot of people went to like um, I, I guess alcohol because um, I I don't think you, while there were like like most of the drug addicts I don't think it was you know like to the level of say like the crack epidemic no, in, in America it wasn't no. it wasn't like that level I think it was just more that but among De- the people who were drug abusers it was you know veterans but Degas was always painting those pictures of people on lab synth. Stoned at the bar, which absinthe doesn't even like have that much of an effect on you. Yeah, it's it's like more anecdotal than anything else. Everybody's like, "Yeah, but you trip off it's warwood alcohol, you know." And it's just like mm-hmm. it doesn't actually do anything. Anybody that's tried it, I mean, maybe, but not really. But I was gonna mention. Um, I don't know. You could probably correct me, but I think you know. I recently reread the uh, the Sun Also Rises and uh, Hemingway. You know, he was he was the lost generation. That's all World War One, and everyone in the book's an alcoholic. Everyone. Oh yeah. Literally, like people are waking up drinking, drinking in the afternoon, drinking while they're driving down the road, drinking while they're at the bullfight, and drinking at the bar, drinking when they're being anti-Semitic, drinking when they're <laughs> racist, drinking when they're not racist. <laughs> it's just like, what is going on in this book? And then you think about it, and it's like, yeah, they just got out of World War One, man. People, people just used to drink constantly back then too, because they didn't really like. I, I guess one, life was tough, and then two, they they didn't really see um, the physical effects as much of, of what alcohol would have on them, because it's still during that era, you know, where the the cigarette companies are are still, you know, making people think, you know, smoking is good for you. Cure your asthma overnight with Paul Mall. Some fine medicinal cigarettes. <laughs> Nothing but menthol here, boys. You could buy, like, your doctor would write you, like, a script. Like, here's some lucky strikes, Ted. Thanks, Dr. Dave. I feel now, so Vanessa, much better. You've been, you've been putting it on a bit, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna prescribe you to stick to Slims. Vanessa, we can't have you getting fat, so you're gonna need to take the Slims. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, uh, one, Speaking of one fat person... people, Herman Goering... <laughs> Yes, Herman Goring, um, a noted fat person. Um, he was um, he was actually addicted to morphine um, before um, the war happened because when he was involved in the the beer hall push in 1923, um, he was shot, and due to like the injuries he received, um, he he essentially got addicted to opium, and he was addicted to opiates. He actually went at one point in 1925. Um, to a rehab hospital in in Sweden to get to sort of get off the get off the drugs. At the at the end of the war, when he was captured, um, they actually had to um, get him detoxed because he was um, he was addicted to um, dihydrocodeine at the time. What is and, that? And is that codeine or is, is it just like yeah, it's like, a, it's like a codeine drug. It's like a it's like a hardcore opiate. And then two is that that guy we um, the guy we mentioned before, um, Doctor Theodore Morell, comes in at this point. I'd say he's uh, one. Like Goering's definitely the best example of someone who is basically a drug addict and just unapologetic. But if you want to talk about drug use during the war, Morell's where you go, right? And I don't I don't think he really used his own no his own stuff. He he just mostly gave it to other people. Like nobody seemed to like him. Like, all the descriptions of him, like, all the inner circle hated him mm-hmm. and distrusted him. 
Well, they all they all hated and distrusted each other because it was like the the upper echelons of the Nazi party was like Mean Girls. <laughs> mean Girls. <laughs> like they're all like they're they're all like sort of sort of friends like and, and, and try to seem that way, but in reality they're all sort of you know plotting against each other and like they're they're all vying for for Hitler's attention. Yeah, exactly. He's like the hot, the the hot girl in in lunch class, and everybody's just kind of roping around them because he has power. So, which is actually um, funny because we should do an episode where we compare the Nazi Party, like the inner power structure, to the characters in Mean Girls. I don't know if that would be <laughs> too disingenuous, maybe. But probably. <laughs> you see, Hillary Duff. No, all right, anyway. Or the, or the characters from Sex and the City. That would probably be more accurate. I would say that Himmler would be that blonde chick. Who's just like... Who's who's just like sex-crazed? Yeah, she's just... <laughs> she's just <laughs> obsessed, obsessed with the mythological representations of sex. <laughs> so, so, the so very much like the fact that she's always, you know, trying to get some... Uh, Hamor is always trying to get some Charlemagne power. Right, exactly. Like he was, he blew it and was was uh, excited, too a little too excited, and uh, essentially just was was obsessed with that stuff. I love that you mentioned Hamor too. What what was his connection to all the drug stuff? Well, um, we'll 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 get to that after okay, I start to talk okay. about uh, Morel a bit. Um, so he um, he he's essentially like a, a celebrity doctor. Like, like he was just like a very fad, like celebrity quack doctor, sort of like we have today. Um, he he had like the latest equipment in his office and stuff because his wife was a wealthy actress, like Doctor Oz. Yeah, and it was um, her name was Hanalore uh, Moeller. Man, um, that is, and a she was fucking German name. Good God, she, she like was. A, she sounds like an NPC. She had a she had a like a personal fortune which he took from, and um, Morrow actually joined the Nazi Party in like 1933, um, which is like right after Hitler came into power, and that's when a lot of people joined because before that point they were kind of a joke. Right. And there was actually a term for people who had been in like the Nazi Party from before Hitler came to power. They were called um, old fighters, and, and there was there was sort of a like. This, this sort of like level of like membership that if you were a member, you know, back in the old days, you were you were afforded more than somebody who was a newer member. Um, but he jo- he joins the party in thirty three, and in um, nineteen thirty five, um, Hitler's personal photographer um, Heinrich Hoffmann um, recommends Moral to Hitler because you know Hitler has this like stomach problem. Um, he doesn't really know what it is. Um, like, I think like in the I said, book, I think in the book they talk about how he has kind of an odd diet. But yeah, he's he's like a weird like vegetarian. Right. He didn't have he, he didn't drink like any alcohol. He didn't do any drugs. He stayed away from all kinds of weird stuff. You know, uh, just he has such a strange diet. It was almost Lovecraftian diet. You know. Yeah. Like, you know, H.P. Like Lovecraft those... would eat like the fucking the stems from a spinach plant but not the leaves and then cat food you know and then he and he died from some kind of weird stomach ailment <laughs> it was like yeah. hp what are you doing you need some meat buddy well they have that one letter that he sent 
I forget who he sent it to his correspondence, but he was like bragging about the fact that he lived off a can of beans for a month. Yeah, you're talking about Lovecraft, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was the original those beans. (laughs) He was that guy. Thinking about him. Thinking about those beans. Um. So, um, where were we at? We were talking about. We were talking about how how Hitler came to have Morrill as his doctor, or Morrell, and then um, he, because his, like, his E. coli pills that he gives him um, essentially cure his stomach ailment, though apparently, like, he would have, like, like, terrible, terrible, like, like, farts because of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you start throwing, you start throwing stuff in. What's crazy is that we know so much more about the the gut but it's interesting that morell was diagnosing him with fecal transplants back then and they knew that it would cause you know some uh subsiding of the symptoms and it's just well, crazy because it's so long ago well i think i i think that that was just one of those things where he got lucky and i'll, I'll do this quote from <laughs> oh hell um, yeah albert albert spear albert um, spear Albert I, by the way, Spia. I have that book, and when I moved into my house, I don't, I don't know whose book it is, because uh, my father-in-law owns a lot of history novels, but that book is in with all the old books that I own, and mm-hmm. I have that book, and I saw it, and I was like, what the heck is this? And I looked up Albert Speer, and I was like, why did he not go to jail again? He well, did go to jail. Yeah, but he got out. He wasn't he wasn't like executed or anything. And he 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 kind of should have been because he was like you know he what was he he was like the guy that did all the logistics. Well, he was he was eventually the armaments minister. That's it. Armaments. And and he he can essentially he wasn't actually involved in the like the planning and the implementation of the Holocaust. Right. Um. There there are accounts that he did go to like that he did like pick out like slave labor from one of the camps. Yes. But it's it's. You can't really like there's prove no, it enough. Yeah, there's no but, way. But since he was the only like repentant one among them, he was able um, he he was able to essentially like argue his case, um, and and he was able. Was he tried to, to at Nuremberg? Yes, he was tried at Nuremberg. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I know like Goering was the most unrepentative of all of them. I know he was just kind of like, yeah, uh, yeah. W- w- what? Why am I in jail? But he was, um, he, he sort of created this myth that he was the, the good Nazi, and he was imprisoned um, until 1966. That's crazy. So he was in jail for 21 years. That is freaking crazy, man. When did, um, and he wrote, the, so so, he wrote the book after he got out of jail. When did he die? Yes, he, he died in he, 81. That's crazy, dude. He worked on because he was originally an architect, um, but he he wrote this book while he was in prison, and then he also wrote his second book, which is about his time in prison. Um, and it, it's sort of his tell-all book about inside. Um, it's it's called Inside the Third Reich. Yeah, that's um, the one. That's it, the one I have. It's like an old old. I've, like, I've read it. It's a good book. Yeah. Um, so in in nineteen, this is the the quote from him in nineteen thirty six when my circulation and stomach rebelled. I called at Morell's private office. After a superficial examination, Morell prescribed for me his intestinal bacteria, dextrose, vitamins, and hormone tablets. For safety's sake, I afterward had a thorough examination by Professor von Bergman, 
the specialist in internal medicine at Berlin University. I was not suffering from any organic trouble, he concluded, but only from nervous symptoms caused by overwork. I slowed down my pace as best I could and the symptoms abated. To avoid offending Hitler, I pretended that I was carefully following uh, Morel's instructions, and since my health improved, I became for a time Morel's showpiece. So that is incredibly interesting, because essentially he was just a, uh, a patsy for the, uh, the treatment, and he, he was basically lying because Hitler was, Hitler was paranoid um, because of the treatments that Morel was giving him which you're going to get into in a moment and it's it's just crazy you know what I mean like it's just nuts but uh, you know it's interesting to me about that whole conversation is that you talk about um suffering it was not suffering from any organic trouble he concluded but only from nervous symptoms caused by overwork and what's the first thing doctors say when you go in and you have all kinds of symptoms they always say are you stressed? Are you are you feeling a little blue? You know, that's like that's like the new thing. Like, are you, are you feeling a little blue, huh? Maybe maybe some pervitin. Maybe you need a pervy tan. You need one, okay? That's what you need. Take this pervy tan. You. Know, it's funny uh, though because think about it. All right, and I, as a quick aside, I was on Adderall for five or six years. And it's essentially, a, it's not methamphetamine, but it's amphetamine salts. I mean, when you yes. when you go to CVS and you pick up your prescription, they're like, I have one for Steve, it's uh, amphetamine salts. And like six people are like kind of eyeballing me like, yo man, let me get some amphetamine salts. <laughs> How much you want you for that. those amphetamine salts? You got that, you got that connect. Dude, and it is, it's serious shit. Like you take that stuff, man. You zero in. You're like you're like a lower god of focus, basically. <laughs> that's 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 exactly what we want for the boys of the Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. And I'll get to that later. I'll get to that in a, a little bit later when you get down towards the uh, when we start talking about drugs during the war, and we get off of Hitler, which is always difficult because you can just go forever about how ridiculous that whole regime was but anyway go ahead and continue i'm sorry so um it hitler like complains too about like how because like hitler had a terrible like sleep schedule like him and stalin were very similar in that um they would like stay up all night and then they would like sleep in until the early afternoon they'd call each other up while they were like under the covers what are you thinking what about are you thinking about right now what are you thinking about <laughs> So Hitler complains about like grogginess and a lack of energy in the morning. Um, so um, Me too, he, he's given this drug <laughs> called called Vitamultin. Yes, the original. And, and and Vitamultin is like this compound that Morel has made, and he 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 loves it so much because it gives him energy. He gives it to him um, gives it to Himmler, and Himmler is is like very suspicious of this doctor, and Himmler is also like like Hitler's like right hand man like like Himmler got away with a lot of things because Hitler knew that like he was his like he was like the one person he could depend on in any situation right because because Himmler had been with him from the start yeah and so that like so so Himmler like gives the substance to some SS like doctors and they investigate it 
And they found out that it was actually just like a combination of like vitamins and meth. So, so the substance that 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 Hitler, this miracle drug, is just like vitamins and meth. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, when it's I was like, I was driving down the road and I'm re- I'm listening to the because I listened to the audiobook of Blitz because it was it was very well done, and uh, I'm listening to it and I'm like, this is just it completely changed the way I look at World War Two. Hitler, the guy that went around and didn't take any drugs and was on nothing and ate a vegetarian diet and, and you know, was a hateful, bigoted, old fucking murdering bastard. But at the same time, his personal life, he tried to be very clean about all that stuff, right? He's like mm-hmm. the Howard Hughes of Germany, right? And, uh, and yet he gets bad advice from his personal physician who basically finessed his way into the Third Reich and uh, and he takes meth meth like it's fucking meth like oh he he takes he takes more than meth oh no I I know he takes more than meth go ahead and read off the list (laughs) so this is this is um, the the 23 things that were prescribed to him the Michael Jordan list um, the 23 the Michael Jordan of drugs list. Um, <laughs> the space so the jam, first one is, if you will. The first one is is a tropa belladonna, which is two to four pills with every meal for a total of eight to sixteen tablets a day, um, with Doctor Coster's anti gas pills. Because, like I said, he has that terrible like gas problem. My my, and, my, my farting. And it was also, it was also these, these pills also had strychnine in them, right? Because um, he was training to be Hashashin, and you need to take a little of the poison so you can <laughs> so you get much like the Hashishins. <laughs> oh like they, they like walk into his office, and he has like he has like a towel wrapped around his head, and he's like. <laughs> Fake sword fighting. He's just there. He's, yeah, he's got like a scimitar, and he's just like, I'm out of here in three to six months, folks, if I get my certification. <laughs> oh, my God, this poison's killed me. All right, so next one, number two. Is is atropine, which is an extract from bull testicles. So he had bull cum. Yes. <laughs> well, essentially like like Red Bull. Red Bull it, it was, is bull it, it, cum? Well, no, it's not bull cum. I'm just, I'm it's, just it's kidding, like, dude. It's the, it's the, the extract or whatever from the testicle. Like it's like yeah. The, well, the vesicles it, are are not the actual. There, I think the vesicles are actually the tubes, right? Oh, so, so no, yes, he, actually, he the, been, the, the vesic the vesicles are in cellular biology. A vesicle is a structure within or outside a cell. Oh my god, that's like super specific. <laughs> All right, so he's taking that. So he's 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 loading up on that. Um, he's got um, brom nevisit, which is bromide. That's crazy. Um, so That's he has crazy. A, a spoonful every night to counteract um, essentially the meth right. that he was doing. So he's he's very much like Elvis, you know. He's taking uppers and then he's taking downers. Well, excuse me, I'll I'll edit the burp out. But the the bromide thing is very interesting because. If you're taking an upper and a downer, that's the I always talk about it. You've probably heard me say it before when we're just hanging out, but 
the uh, upper downer is like the classic sociological experiment of the smoker at the bar. Mm-hmm. Because alcohol is a depressant and nicotine is a stimulant. And so you're sitting there, upper downer, upper downer, upper downer, upper downer, over and over and over again. And it's just, uh, they like kind of feed into each other. So I'm sure he felt fucking great when he took that bromide. So he's he's on that. He's he's taking caffeine, um, chamomile. Um, well, he's wait, taking. Are, co- we, are we calling chamomile a a drug? Like, what was he drinking tea, or was he like taking a supplement? He was taking essentially a chamomile supplement. Oh, that's weird. That is weird. Um, he's taking cocaine and adrenaline eye drops. <laughs> Visine double black, baby. <laughs> Give me the bu- I can only get this twice a month, but Visine double black is cocaine and adrenaline eye drops. I need I need double X strength. It's called it's called Visine, and it's real good. <laughs> you put it in your eyeballs, you can see the future. How could I be asleep if I was on Visine? <laughs> Oh my god, think about that. He was taking cocaine, cocaine adrenaline eye drops. Alright, that, first of all, if somebody doesn't make a band called Cocaine Adrenaline Eye Drops, I will. Next, number seven. Number seven, E. coli. <laughs> so this is, this is already like those, those pills he's taking. Um, so he's so he's thinking E. coli, also apparently uh, enzymes. Yep. So, number, so I'm sure this is number not and enzymes is kind of ambiguous. Do you know like what specific enzymes he was taking? It it didn't say what they were, so I'm I'm assuming it's like everything under the sun. Yeah, it's probably like all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but number nine um, is incredibly important. We might spend some time. Ukadol. Yeah, you could all. Yeah, they mentioned that all a lot. In didn't the, uh, um didn't baseball players do a lot of Yucadol? I I, I, baseball, I feel like I've heard about it before in like sports. Yes, baseball players um I think baseball players took opiates but not really um for, you know, cuz it's not really a performance enhancing substance. Baseball players took greenies. But um yeah, we'd have to we'd have to look at that. I wanted to actually do an episode all about uh baseball and how many drugs they've been taking since the like dawn of the sport and the fact that there really is no Hall of Fame if we take out every drug user. But anyway, that's another topic. But that's like let's just start at nine. Let's work our way backwards, right? And just start at nine. Okay? No no wait, go to ten. Go to ten. Okay. So he was he's taking a uh, this drug called um, you pervenum. You you It was um, it was an antispasmodic, and this is one of those things that um, there was there was talk that um, there, there was a belief that Hitler might have been in the early stages of Parkinson's disease. Yeah, that's that was a big thing in the book, and he had like um, he had seizures and tremors. He had a lot of tremors, I think. <laughs> so the antispasmodic was for that. So we're at number 10, right? So he takes antispasmodic. So he takes that eupiverinum. And then he, he takes, takes... Eucadol. Let's, let's, go, let's go down. We're going to do the top 10 list here. He takes Eucadol, which is oxycodone, right? You, you yeah. put in the notes here. It's a trade name for oxycodone. So it's a major 
I have taken oxycodone for dental pain before, and I I know it's anecdotal, but the very next day, I wanted more oxycodone. Like it's that addictive. You're just you're just like I need more. I need more right now. So that alone yeah. could be a lot of his his personal like health issues could have just been from from withdrawal from the opioids. But then on top of that, they're fucking with him in the stomach, giving him enzymes. They get him E. coli, which is not healthy. You know, like it's they didn't know what they were doing, and Morel was a quack, like he said, and so he didn't really know what he was giving them. But then you take all of what I just said and you say, you know what? We gotta balance all this out. <laughs> Let me get the Visine Double Black cocaine adrenaline eye drops. <laughs> Let me put those in his eyes so that his eyes can never unsee anything ever. Of course, we'll give him a little bit of chamomile to kind of relax, you know, chill out. Every four o'clock, tea time, the bell rings, the queen shows up, it's a good time. Then, on top of the chamomile, they gave him extra caffeine. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But on top of that, the man can't sleep. Why? Because he's on caffeine, chamomile, cocaine, adrenaline, E. coli, enzymes, oxycodone, papaverin, antispasmodic. So they give him bromide to sleep every single night. He needs to take this shit, right? And then on top of that, it's like, let me suck out the, the weird atropine from bull balls and take poison. Why don't we just throw poison and bull balls into the mix? Because at that point, why, what, who the fuck cares? But you know what, Steve? You know what's crazy? We're only on 10. So, so go ahead and talk about 11, which is an incredibly dangerous drug. Glycanorm? <laughs> Metformin. Metformin. What? Metformin. You, you called it glycanorm, but it's metformin. Yeah. Metformin is the... the- proper name for it right but it's yeah it's it's, so it's a, it treats diabetes yeah which is i i don't know like some of these things that like he's on it and like i i just don't really see you know like why he would be on it like i don't understand why he was on a diabetes medicine <laughs> i know i know it's ridiculous you know what i mean it's it's just ridiculously crazy but let me just read you some of the side effects of metformin <laughs> You may experience blurred vision, dizziness, or drowsiness due to extremely low or high blood sugar. Do not drive, use machinery, or do any activity that requires alertness or clear vision until you are sure you can perform such activities safely. Please limit alcohol use while using this medication because it it can increase your risk of lactic acidosis and developing low blood sugar. Older adults may be at greater risk. Metformin can cause changes in the menstrual cycle. It passes into the breast milk. During pregnancy, it should only be used when clearly needed. Before using this medication, tell your pharmacist if you have severe breathing problems, blood problems, kidney disease, <laughs> liver di- I mean, it's the side effects for taking that drug in 2019, just listed on WebMD, which... You know, it's whatever. It's the Wikipedia of medical advice, but it's, you know, it's there. And just on top of that, he's taken. Oh, my God. All right. All right. I'm going to like. All right. Go ahead. 
what was next? So he's number twelve. So, <laughs> is is just like this the pervitin and the the vitamolten. He's he's the meth. Um, after that, you know, you have morphine. Um, so the morphine no, was that like a con? Was that every day? Um, not probably sure. not every day, but probably just you know when I don't know maybe had a headache or something. <laughs> Imagine you imagine you took like the world's first pain drug ever. Like the granddaddy, you know, like Vi- well, you know, well, you know, Visine Steve, when you're double black. When you're the fear, you only need the strongest of painkillers. <laughs> Visine triple black. It's like Red Bull and vodka. Basically, you just you're getting your cocaine and adrenaline via eye drops and we threw in a little bit of morphine there to chill you out. Um, he was on this drug called uh, Mutafor, which was also for his flatulence. Yeah, that's a feces thing. So that's a fecal. That's another fecal supplement, right? Yeah, let me see. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You read it here. Bacteria extracted from human feces. Oh my god! Keep it coming. So he's also on these other ones that just seem like um, oxidrine tartate. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, it, apparently, it's it's known as um, Sinephrine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just another one of those drugs. Um, this one's like, it, it seems like it had to deal with like like sweetness. It's another thing dealing with like sugar and blood sugar. But apparently, it's it's like goes into like what makes like oranges taste sweet. Huh. That's interesting. So, okay. So, he was on. Because, I mean... It feels like a lot of the list, like I know several of these things, but it feels like some of the some of the members of this list are just random things that Morel like had in a cabinet and he was just like oh, throwing a little bit of eye of newt, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So what was next? Uh, uh Profenazone, which is a derivative of phenazone, um, which is an anti inflammatory drug. So you're saying that the man who was on co- cocaine and adrenaline eye drop had some inflammatory issues. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Next. Um, it proteins and lipids derived from animal tissues and fats, which is odd as well that he would he, that he would take those because again he's a, like a vegetarian. Right. I know. That, so, that, it's the it's like vegan bodybuilders that take steroids that come out of like you know balls so they aren't vegan anymore but they still say they're vegan you know it's just nonsense he used to also like he would pick on because he was he was always a bully but he would always um he would always like make fun of uh eva braun if she wore like makeup like they'd be sitting around like eating like the high command people and him or whatever and like eva braun and he just he just talk about how like because makeup at that time was made from animal products right and, and just talking about like how dumb it was that she was wearing uh, animal products oh my god get that zoo the whale fat on your face so after that he was on sodium barbitone i don't know what that is which the fuck's that it's a it was apparently the first commercially available barbiturate, so it's another sleeping aid. I mean, it's like fucking ridiculous. So if I type sodium barbitone into Google, 
these are in order the Google autocomplete results. <clears throat> you ready? Here's my, uh, this is my, uh, what's it called? What is that? Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. What is it called when people like read something like really softly into the mic? Oh, what the hell is that called? M AMSR? Yeah, it's my AMSR or ASMR. 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 Yeah, here's my ASMR. Here are the Google results for Hitler's dosage of sodium barbitone. The first is sodium barbitone euthanasia. <laughs> the second is sodium barbitol truth serum. Barbitol addiction. Barbitol sodium structure. Is barbitol still used? <laughs> like, it just keeps getting worse as it goes down. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Phenobarbital so, sodium is a is basically truth serum. So he's he's on that. He's on uh he's on strychnine. Um again, so he's on poison cuz he was just like this I think what it was is Morel was a deep agent for Britain, right? And he was trying to kill mm-hmm. Hitler with all this shit, but he just couldn't do it. Like he'd give him all this stuff. And I'm not trying to play up like Hitler as some superman. I'm just saying this man was on a daily regimen of poison, cocaine, morphine, and barbiturates, and methamphetamine, and he was fine for, like, at least ten years. <laughs> Maybe longer. He, like, I I do not see him, like, if he had survived the war, I would not see him living um, very long after that. No, and the end of the, and part of the end of that book is, is basically just talking about how um, how bad he was towards the end of the war. Like, I don't want to say... I don't want to jump... Anyway, what was the last thing he took? The last two things. The, the last two things were... Um, he was on... Sulfana... Sulfana... Sulfonamide. Sulfonamide. Um, it's an antibacterial. Yep. Yep. Um, so probably for all the bacteria he was, like, shoving into his gut. And you gotta be careful um, with that shit, because sulfonamide I don't know if you listen to a lot of those like drug commercials on TV but mm-hmm. um, they often tell you tell your doctor if you're taking sulfonamides because you can't take this drug and I sincerely doubt they knew about the interactivity in 1933 you know or whatever year yeah because it says here uh, and ee, um, Dude, it says here on the like the Wikipedia uh, the that they have a potential to cause a variety of untoward reactions, including urinary tract disorders, h- hemopoietic disorders, right, um, porphyria, and hypersensitivity reactions. And like, there's some there's some pretty bad uh, bad yeah, pictures. Yeah, the sulf- sulfonamides. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Don't 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 click images, brother. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but then on top of all that, on top of all the drugs. On top of everything they were giving him, they also gave him the next one, which is testosterone. So we we know the Fuhrer doesn't suffer from low T. So this guy is getting the Canseco pill <laughs> at the same time he's getting. He's also taking vitamins. I'm just going to take 23. Yes. I'm going to take the wind out of 23. They were also making sure he had plenty of vitamin B12 and D and C, you know, so he wasn't getting colds, which is bullshit, but whatever. So anyway, vitamins, testosterone, 
fucking sulfonamide strychnine, sodium barbitone, so early barbiturates, proteins, profenazone, pota- profenazone, potassium bromide, oxygen tartate, fucking poop pills, mutaflor, morphine, methamphetamine, metformin, okay, uh, antispasmodic called eupaverinum, eucodol, which is essentially oxy-fucking-codone, codeine, enzymes, E. coli, cocaine and adrenaline, double black visine eye drops, chamomile, caffeine, bromide, <laughs> atropine ball sweat, and Bella fucking Donna. Ladies and gentlemen, the Third Reich. Um, so, when we when we actually get into the war, um, the, the person who sort of, like, um, gets the Wehrmacht into meth is this, uh, this physiologist named um, Otto Friedrich uh, Ronka. Ronka, uh, Ronka yeah. was a um, he. He was essentially like he had been like Nazi adjacent from before the party existed, and he had been like a he had he had joined up. He was in a, a group that eventually got merged into the SA. Hmm. Yeah. So he he runs this study in 1939 um, where he stays it on college students. Um, so he, he essentially has these 90 college students take part in this like study where he he essentially tests to see how they perform on meth um, and then eventually um, he he thinks like this is great um, and then he he sort of um, begins testing on military drivers in the invasion of, of Poland so they start testing it on the drivers um, between <laughs> April and July 1940, Right. They produce 35 million, or I should say they procure 35 million tablets of Pervitin and Isofan, which is a, a similar product um, to for the Wehrmacht and the Luftwaffe. Um, and and th- this is a thing, too, with this study that, that comes up in later ones as well that people point out, is that the, the efficacy of the study is not very good because they're testing the effects of the drug on people in like a normal conditions you know where they're probably getting rest um they're not under a stressful situation you know like being in the middle of a war um it, it doesn't really um give a good idea of of the impact the drug is going to have on soldiers right so what's interesting is that um again speaking to my own anecdotal anecdotal usage of uh amphetamine salts um i can tell you that the reason i ended up going off of them was what you just said is that I had awful sleep pattern. I was up all night. I didn't eat right. I didn't exercise. And I was on, you know, I'd go to the doctor, and of course they're like, well, you know, the reason you're tired is because you've got ADHD, you know. It's it's hyperactive cousin. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so you're like sitting there, and you're just, you're just like, all right, well, whatever. And the only thing I got out of that drug was that, A, I didn't need it, and that... B, most of my problems were caused by other factors that if you fix them, you're kind of good to go, which is more to the point of it's a shitty test to test it on normal people because most of them don't need it, and so the effect is going to be much less pronounced, you know? Yeah, and and also, too, like the pharmaceutical companies, you know, which, which you'll see uh, in, and later on with, like, the allies, is that they want you know the militaries to adopt these drugs because it's it's essentially a guaranteed customer exactly yeah once the military finds out there's a perceived benefit 
everyone's going to start using it. So um, they, they they start issuing um, Pervitin to to soldiers. Um, so so they're wired when they're when they you know when they're invading um, France because by this time in, in 1940, um, this is sort of a, a predecessor um, to the happening. For instance, uh, one that gets brought up is there is a, um, a Nobel Prize winning uh, writer um, named Heinrich uh, Heinrich Bohl. Yeah. He he wrote home several times throughout the war, essentially asking his family for to send him more Pervitin. Right, like he was running low, and that was something they brought up during the book is that they were like they kept running low on it, like they would only be rationed out a certain amount, which was even less as the war went on. But anyway, that's it's just crazy. Like, mom, mom, where's my protein? <laughs> <laughs> uh. So at the at the end of the war, um, they actually commission um, this this admiral, uh, vice admiral um, Helmuth Hay. He commissions the making of a super drug to sort of replace uh, to replace Pervitin, you know, to give them the edge they need to you know to fight off the enemies of of Germany as they're losing the war. And the 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 pill is codenamed uh, D nine, and it contained. Five milligrams of cocaine, three milligrams of pervitin, and five milligrams of eucodol. <laughs> it's like, it's literally <laughs> like, like he was just handing out instant rave pills. Just you know, like at any is, moment they were just gonna bust out into another like a beer hall rave. This is this is just like in um, the the show The Nick. Which is about like doctors around like like sort of gilded age doctors around like the turn of like the nineteenth nineteen hundreds. Yeah, I've I've, seen, I've never seen one, it, but I've seen it advertised. Yeah, but the one the one character who's like a drug addict, he's he's like a brilliant surgeon, but he's a drug addict, mm-hmm. and he's addicted to house. Um, he's addicted to um, he's addicted to cocaine, and they they prescribe him um, heroin. <laughs> at the end of the first season like for the same reason that it's sort of like it's like their version of methadone this this harmful heroin and then at the end of the second season he combines um he combines like heroin and cocaine together into like an injectable drug and then ends up like killing him eventually (laughs) oh my god I mean, we're trying to... Basically, what we're doing is we're trying to make a super drug. So we want all the benefits of cocaine, but we want it to last longer. Because, you know, the big problem with cocaine... Now, I've personally... I've never done cocaine. But I've heard so many people talk about doing cocaine. I've been around people who are on coke. And, you know... And the thing about cocaine is that it lasts for, like, 30 minutes. Like, it's like 30 minutes to 45 minutes, right? Yeah, that's what... That's what people have told me. They say that uh, that like that cocaine's all that great because you know all it does is it just gets you just gets you amped up, but only really to do like more cocaine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you just and it's super addictive. So you're you're on it. You feel like God, and then the God goes away. So you need more cocaine. Well, what's a good way to keep the cocaine feeling going for a little while? Fucking three milligrams of amph- methamphetamine just thrown in with that cocaine which lasts six to eight hours six to eight fucking hours of methamphetamine so that's going to keep and your cocaine some, going and then some eucodol so you don't feel pain exactly so what you've just done is created what's called a berserker class 
warrior. (laughs) (laughs) You've just created a mythical legend warrior, which I don't see you mentioning it in the show notes, but the... uh, the one thing that I found amazing, well, the Blitz, the what was the Blitz? Like Blitzkrieg. But the Blitz wasn't the Blitz the attack on France. Well, the the Blitz is just like uh, the, their style of they they call it like the Blitz colloquially, but like the right. like Blitzkrieg warfare. Yeah. Just just sort of this okay, like so it's like combined a arm. Like like attack like it's sort of this this sort of like school of uh, battle that they use. It doesn't actually like really work. That they just sort of got lucky. It's it's kind of impossible. But they um, didn't get they didn't get lucky when it came to France because they went around the Maginot Line. Stop me when I'm wrong. And then they invaded France. And when they invaded France, it was like at the apex. Was it the apogee? They were at the apex of Pervitin use. And almost everyone was using Pervitin in the German military at the time. Like, it was in mm-hmm. their regular kit. But it wasn't in the French kit. So, you've got a German military that goes around using Blitzkrieg tactics. Goes around the defenses. Literally, they have so much energy that <laughs> they just run around the castle wall. Go in the back door, and they well, run into the middle of the fucking the middle of the country, and they just proceed to stay awake for three days. I mean, and a big problem I have with it, and they talk about it in the book, is that you know there's a lot of anti-French sentiment that the French, you know, they're cowards. They gave up the Charles de Gaulle thing and all that stuff, and they. And they lost so poorly to the Germans, and there, there's a lot of that. But the French had no fucking chance. It was like a completely coked out, pervitined up, massive, just super army that just ran rushed over every freaking living thing. It's crazy. Well, it's, well, it's, it, there's there's also some other factors. Um, sure. And the reason why I say that, like, that Blitzkrieg doesn't work is because a lot of people, when they think of, you know, uh, Nazi Germany, they think of, you know, like, these, these over-engineered tanks and, like, like planes and stuff. Um, but in reality, like, most of the German army was pulled by horse. Really? Because, yeah, because they didn't really have, um, they didn't really have oil resources. Um, so you can't really run, like, like an army, like... Like essentially, like the U.S. had because the U.S. had a lot of oil. Um, so, so for instance, instead of using jeeps, you know, they're using horses and, and things like that to, uh, that to is, pull. That is super interesting. So they don't really have the I materials. Poland, to I thought Poland. I thought Poland was the only uh, country during World War II that still had like mounted cavalry. <laughs> no, that's that's also sort of like Nazi propaganda. Is it really? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I love Polish people. I mean, I love them, you know, Dobranoc, Dzień Dobry, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it is very interesting, because, like, usually, like, you read about that, that, like, the Polish still had, like, a cavalry charge during World War II, and it's kind of, like, it's kind of almost romantic in a way, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't realize it was propaganda. That's really interesting. Well, I was, I was listening to, uh, Mark Maron the other day, and Stephen Root was on. Okay. Um, that the actor who played Milton. I believe you have my stapler. I believe you have but, my uh, Pervitin. 
His uh, his dad. He said his dad was in the. He had enlisted in like 1939, and he was in the cavalry. Okay. And like he raised his own horse, and then in 1941 they like they made him like be in a tank. And apparently he hated it. <laughs> and he was like, really? His 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 dad. From the way he says it, like his dad was essentially like the movie like fury like he was i haven't seen that yet don't don't spoil it for me (laughs) he was like in the no just like just like a tank guy like like normandy and stuff that he was like the third tank over the the remergen oh my god but anyways steven really i gotta turn Marin back on i haven't listened to him in a while anyway long story short so, so so they they lose the war um uh, Pervidin still is still stays in like use. Um, a lot of the same things, like I said earlier, you know, it's, it's like an antidepressant, um, that type of thing. Um, and and they'll both like it and similar drugs will stay legal in both East and West Germany. Um, East Germany, it sounded like they they started banning them in the seventies, and then <coughs> and then with West Germany, it was in the eighties. So I will say that I mean, technically speaking, that the the derivatives of methamphetamine, like straight up amphetamine salts and i'm not you know i'm not an arrowid you know i'm not 100 percent sure <laughs> like what's the derivative and what isn't but the successors to those drugs are still 100 percent legal as long as you get a little piece of paper from your doctor and uh it's just crazy it's crazy yeah but these these were things too that it, it wasn't just you know that they were that they were legal it was that you could just like walk into a store yeah, and like buy them they were OTC, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like early days Sudafed. <laughs> um, you didn't have to show so, your driver's license to get Pervitin like once a week, you know. I got a really bad cold, Doc. I can't pay attention. I got a cold. All right, there's Sudafed and and fucking methamphetamine in aisle six. Sometimes I'm not happy. <laughs> Sometimes I feel bad. Okay, you want to go to aisle six, and you want to pick up some Pervitan. And you want to take that once a day at 8 a.m. And if you're feeling a little bit down, take a second dose sometime around 2 p.m. So that you get 12 hours of uninterrupted, just hyper-liquid blood. And then after that, you know, you're going to need to go to sleep. So make sure you sip on that bromide chamomile tea. Um, and the allies too, they were also getting in on it. Um, not as, not as quickly or as, as heavily as the the Germans were. Um, so a lot of, a lot of, for both the British and the Americans, they were kind of on the fence about them. Like they didn't know because, um, they, they really just wanted to use caffeine instead to, to give people that, that bump. Um, and, and with the British, um, because it's an over-the-counter medicine there, um, Benzedrine's the one that um, both the, the Americans and the British use, um, that airmen, soldiers, and sailors are already using them. And since they're not banned or illegal, um, they want to do some studies on them. Right. Um, Benzedrine so is R- what, by the way, to interrupt you, Benz- Benzedrine is what you were talking about when you, um, when you were talking about what Major League Baseball used. That's what they use because it was called Benny's. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 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 Royal Air Force um, they they found that it didn't improve performance, but it improved uh, mood and attitude. Um, and they they also found that it raised uh, courage. You know, people like pilots were oh, more yeah. willing, you know, to take take risks. Yeah, 
Like, I was taking, like, you know, the Folgers coffee, the Sanka of amphetamines, <laughs> you know? These guys, were on, these guys were on crack. Not the Monster Energy drink. No, though. this was not the Monster... This was not the Bang Gamer Fuel of, <laughs> uh, of amphetamines. I, I was on the the Sanka, the almost the decaf, really. Like, it had an effect, but it was... It was, and it's pronounced, you know, it's pronounced, like you don't eat for six or seven hours sometimes when you first start taking it, because your body's just like, I'm good, I got, I got it, I'm good, I don't need food. Uh, But then these guys are on like times ten, I mean, absolutely crazy. Um, The the Royal Navy, (laughs) they didn't feel that they, uh, that that they benefited from it in a remarkable way, Um, but the British Army um, really liked it. Um, General uh, Montgomery in 1942 um, he started running field tests in North Africa, um, and so he had two infantry squads um, do do these tests where they sort of competed with each other. And, and this is a, a quote from a paper I found. So good. Um, it's it's from this paper called "Medical Science in the Military: The Allies' Use of Amphetamine During World War II" by Nicholas uh, Rasmussen. Nichol- Nicholas Nicholsby. And it says. Uh, the other compared two infantry squads during 56 straight hours of rifle shooting, trench digging, and specialty testing, such as code signaling and machine gun reassembly, followed by a competitive seven-mile march. Not only did the Benzedrine squad win by 11 minutes in the latter study and report feeling more energy and clearer thinking, they also displayed a snap and zest, <laughs> um, conspicuously absent in the placebo squad. I mean, to give them that snap and zest that they need. To they had the Jerry. That was. I, I'm pretty sure that was like the uh, the line they were given. Fifty six straight hours of rifle shooting, Steve. That's what we need to call the podcast. By the way, we're just going to change the name of the podcast right now. It's going to be called Visine Double Black Colon Fifty Six Straight Hours of Rifle Rifle Shooting. The the, the Visine the Visine Double Black History Hour. <laughs> Sponsored by 56 straight hours of rifle shooting. <laughs> that sounds like a, that sounds like a gun nuts wet dream, like Ollie North. Like he goes to bed and be like, I had a great dream. It was fantastic. <laughs> I came in my jammies like three times. <laughs> it, is, it is Jimmy Jams. <laughs> my Jimmy Jams, 56 straight hours of rifle shooting. <laughs> oh my god. So. Montgomery likes it so much that he allows the use of amphetamines at a higher dosage than 20 milligrams, which was the set standard by the Air Council. Who's the, so I who believe, is the Air Council? I believe they're like the body that determines like, like, like air safety in Great Britain. Okay. Um, from 1941 to 1943, um, the U.S. debate um, using amphetamines, um, they, again, they favor uh, benzodrine. And there's all these arguments back and forth of whether it's better to use like benzodrine or caffeine. Um, and that that's and, a big thing now, actually. A lot of people um, that were on Vyvanse or Adderall or any of those amphetamine-based, um, you know, supplements, they they end up taking black coffee. They end up just getting off the meds and taking black coffee because it works just as well. It's just it's shorter acting. That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. And the the pharmaceutical companies they want the military to use benzodrine. Mm. Well, okay. Uh, so you're saying that in 1943 or 42 or somewhere between 1941 and 43, 
that the pharmaceutical companies were already fucking at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, ridiculous. So in, in 43, the army begins dispensing um, five milligram benzedrine uh, pep pills. Um, and then after they start like, like giving these drugs, they don't really like question it at all. Like they don't question the amount they're giving. They don't question like, like how often the soldiers are using it. Um, and it's seen as a cure for a, uh, combat fatigue uh, which is like one of those one of those terms like shell shock right which essentially like weariness from being at war and like ptsd i forget it's not really like i forget the phrase for it but there's there's i forget there's a word for it but it's essentially just a bullshit term to disguise the diagnosis um and so the office of strategic research and development um, which was which was sort of this um, this organization that looked into things um, within the government. Um, it was run by uh, Vannevar Bush, who was uh, George W. Bush's um, uncle or George H. W. Bush's uncle. Hmm. He's like one, he's like one of the fathers of also like the concept of a personal computer. Yeah, I I did not know that, and I work in IT. How about that. Um, so this this physiologist Andrew C. Ivy. Um, he believes that the um, he believes that the effects of uh, benzadrine initially are negligible, um, but he eventually like endorses all. Um, and and he he also notes what I pointed out before that the past studies had used rested subjects, not the sleep deprived, so their behavior is unknown. Right. Um, but but enough of like the the courage boosting or whatever. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure the the military was probably also on him about like. Um, about like pushing it forward, um, so he eventually endorses it, but notes that there's like an addictive element See, to it. That just goes to show you how much they downplayed addiction at the time, because you just said that this Ivy fucker believes that the effects of benzadrine were negligible, and then proceeds to say that they're not negligible, that because it's that they that we, they're addictive, which means they're well, not negligible. When I say the effects of Benzedrine were negligible, I don't mean that, like, the negative effects. I mean, just overall, he felt that Benzedrine wasn't giving them... Oh, like, okay, the okay, head. okay, okay. Like, he, he felt it wasn't really necessary to, like, use this drug that could possibly have, like, long-term ramifications for users. So you're saying that this guy didn't... He wasn't some sh- schmuck in a coat. He actually was... He had, like, a, a serious... Um, approach to his study. So this is like a re- legitimate organization. Yeah. I don't know much about it. So, so, but after the war, um, the leadership begins like questioning uh, the use of it because they found that like soldiers were using it recreationally, Fucking and up. it was also being abused by soldiers. Yeah, they're so after that they, um, so they they essentially like cut it back. Um, if you're in the Air Force, I think you can still get given. Yeah, um, drinks. There was that guy that. Um, that did like a friendly fire attack on on some Canadians in Iraq, and and he he tried to use that as an excuse that he was hopped up on pep pills. At the time. I was hopped up on goofballs, and I saw the maple syrup boys, and I just had to blow them away. <laughs> and then finally, uh, the the Japanese, you know, the ones who who where the this all comes from originally, um, their their version of the pill was called the the main one was called Philippon. Hmm. Um, which was made by Dai Nippon Pharmaceutical Company. Um, it, it, the root of the name is uh, uh, philo, uh, meaning love, and panos, meaning work. So it, it's something that like makes you love work. Arbert Mach Frey. 
Um, and, and they would give soldiers who were on sentry duty, they would give them these cat's eye tablet, as they called them, which I guess would just, like, you know, keep them up when they're, when they're on guard duty. Major. And then um, the special forces and kamikaze units were given what is called a, a storming tablet, which is sort of the same thing. Um, and it was had green tea mixed in. Is that just like is that that's like a morale just add in where it's just like market forces dictate? <laughs> like yeah, a, you get some get some matcha powder in there, you yeah. know. Dude, this is the matcha flavor storming tablet. <laughs> um, but after the after the war, um, because like a lot of things in in Japan, like you know, when the war ends, you know, they have all this like military equipment like laying around that they never used, and it it ends up you know either in or. or either in the black market or elsewhere um and these all these pills end up in the black market and uh veterans also keep using their their rations for work and study um because they feel they they know that it like it helps them with that so they're sort of like those like tech bros using their um using their adhd medicine yeah you have to wonder how much of that like got those veterans moving into a direction that got us some of the technological advancements that we got during that time period. Because there was a ton well, of it, you know what I mean? Well, well, with that, it, it, it comes much later, after after um, after these pills are banned, which we'll get to. Um, because during this time period, this is this is when, like, Japan's, like, an abject poverty, like, it's one of the poorest countries in Asia. Right. Um, After the a, a lot of a lot of that innovation comes from the fact that like Sony and companies had like policies where they would have employees like give ideas. I think it's Sony that had the one where you have to give an idea every month. It's... Like everybody who works at the company, like you have to write down an idea. What the heck? That's crazy. Well, no, it was just like, do you have an idea for something to make? And then they would they would just give their idea. Um, so in 1949, because this has become like a big like party drug. Sure, like, it still is. Like, like teens, teens are teens are popping these pills. You know, they're staying up all night, like dancing and partying. Um, the Ministry of Health and Welfare um, orders, which is only a suggestion, they don't actually have the power um, to to make the company stop. They 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 order them to stop producing um, these pills, which there are a lot of them. There's about like 20. 20 pills on the market from different companies mm-hmm. um, because it's become linked, you know, with uh, with party and crime culture. In 1950, I couldn't find more about it, but there's this this incident. It's called the mass sexual assault incident at Suchai Village, Suchai. which is in which is in Saitama today. Okay. Um, and, and my guess is that it was probably like some sort of like rave type situation. They they just called it that because you know, like young people are like doing the devil's dancing jesus christ um so the so the company they found they found that like all these people they arrested they arrested about 100 people um they found that they're using this pill called um neo agatin mm-hmm. and it's it's essentially just like like philippon it's a meth pill um and they they look into it because they're like how many of these are you producing and they produce 10 million um Amples quarterly when the quota was only like fifty one thousand. Holy shit! So the so the quota they're given by the by the Japanese government that they should be filling uh, for this like medicine is fifty one thousand. That's an effective they're, they're, company. They're making they're making ten million. Japanese efficiency. So, so they're fined for it five thousand yen, which in 
which was about $14 in today's money. $14. And and so because of this, um, the police stress that, you know, we need laws because you're, you're not able to effectively, like, control these companies. So in June, <coughs> June 1951, um, they passed the Stimulant Control Law, and it, it essentially is passed to um, regulate and curtail the production of meth. That is just like... I mean, I hate to sound like someone who's like talking to their relatives that hasn't seen them in a while, and they, that's crazy, man. That's crazy, you know. <laughs> it's just fucking crazy. It's crazy. So essentially, to surmise this entire thing, Japan was high, Britain was high, the Americans were high, the Germans were high. Pretty much most of the war had some kind of drug going into their kit, more or less, right? But I think the Germans were the most... I mean, I hate to, like, just shit all over them, because, ah, fuck them. Uh, well, I'm not talking about current Germans. I'm talking about, you know, Nazis. But uh, they were the most egregious with uh, with use, right? Isn't that the reality yeah, of the situation? It seems, it, it seems that they used it the most. Right, like they they really pushed the envelope. I mean, it was a standard part of your average soldier's kit. Not the SS, not the uh, not any other groups, uh, the SA or any of the specialty groups or any of the fucking shit like that. It was just everybody had pervitin. It was just assigned to everyone, and it went mm-hmm. all the way up the chain, all the way to the big man with the mustache. Everyone was fucking super high, but nobody in history has been as medicated or high as Adolf Hitler. I mean, yeah. that fucking list. Just, look, I I would I would defy someone to find a, a similar list. Like, is it even... Like, sometimes I'll go and I'll have a few beers and my heart will, like, you know, feel like it's racing a little bit and I'm like, man, I gotta sit down, you know, and I'll have some water <laughs> to calm down and maybe an leave. Right, but I never thought about taking belladonna, caffeine, <laughs> chamomile, cocaine, adrenaline, E. coli, enzymes, Eucadol. You, you know what I mean? Like it's like. Well, well maybe geez. you should. I know, right? Maybe I'd get more done. <laughs> maybe you should. You're not getting a lot done right now. Maybe instead of just drinking alcohol, you should take poop pills. Zeuda ictbin poopy pill, uh, some animal tissues and fats, testosterone, and strychnine. Can you even get strychnine? Like, now? Is that legal for me to ask that? Is that illegal? <laughs> What's well, a... It's a poison. Like, it's... Yeah, but isn't strychnine kind of like, uh, what is the shit it's, that's it's in tomatoes? It's rat poison, essentially. Right. So you can definitely go get some strychnine, like, right now. You can just like, go to CVS and get rat poisoning. Yeah, it'll it'll or be in something. Poisoning. I don't think you can just go. It's like, excuse me, sir, where is your, where is your strychnine? I'd like to. You're on like the you're on the hold with with Walgreens, and they're like, please say what you'd like to do, and you're like, I'd like to get some <laughs> strychnine from the pharmacy. <laughs> like, I think you said strychnine from the pharmacy. Is that correct? <laughs> Let me transfer you to one of our helpful technicians. <laughs> 
And when they do that, you just like you're just on hold, and then you hear like a police siren. You hear a police siren in the background while you're just sitting there with your feet up, listening to the Kenny G hold music. Oh my god. No, so anyway, I mean, I, so my whole thrust with, like, doing this entire episode was was just, it totally changed World War II for me. Because when you're growing up, I mean, everyone has a different, um, I think, exposure to World War II. It depends on what part of the country you're in, what the educational policies are in your district or your state. Um, or just, like, maybe overall the overarching region that you're in in America. Yeah, not 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 everyone's, like, nearby town has, like, John Basquion Day, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so it's just really interesting um because you know you grow up and and all you watch are these like history channel documentaries about world war Two, and they don't talk about how uh germany was essentially medicated on stuff now that can pretty much get you put in jail if you have more than a trace amount of it and it's not legal mm-hmm. especially in the state of florida you know because they have such a pill mill opioid thing if you have like drugs you're not supposed to have i mean forget it like i've read stories about people getting arrested for old prescription drugs that they had in like a, a box that they were using when they were moving so i actually was worried about that when i moved to florida because i have pills that i never finished you know i've gotten <laughs> rid of them long long ago but you know for a while there was like two bottles of amphetamines just sitting in my drawer and it's like you know, nowadays that's that could get you sent to jail maybe overnight, especially if you're in fucking Polk County. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Grady Judd, sir. Uh, but the uh, but it's interesting to hear that soldiers during like one of the most prolific. I'd say it's it's arguably the most prolific because again, I always bring that World War One thing up, which is World War One's fucking crazy. Um, it's sickening, but one of the most prolific wars in the history of man and one and the people that were winning early out you could make the argument that germany was doing a really good job early out with their shitty shitty tactics were high as shit they were on the drug that made me play piano for six hours at a i was sitting there for six hours the first time i ever took it i was playing piano for six hours my dad my goddamn awful like uh, feeling dad he felt bad so bad getting up to like get over and just tap me on the shoulder and go are you done <laughs> he was like are you done like do you want to maybe take a break from that piano and I'm like oh, I guess that I just get up and I look at my my clock and I've got 15 emails from work and it's like I miss lunch I miss breakfast and yeah and that's basically what those fucking drugs did. And then it's... So just like an after-school special, you know, you're like, like, fuck you, Dad. And you just, like, just, like, knock him down and, like, run out of the house and go play piano in an alley somewhere. What am I, fucking Brahms? <laughs> Brahms' biggest thing is not to get piano nerd on you was, uh, he played, like, piano in the street in Bavaria. And, uh, and he was, like, you know... That that kind of fostered his popularity, and he was kind of discovered there, I think. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so this has been really interesting. I didn't know a lot about the uh, the other countries, but 
it's just always shocking to me. And every time World War II comes up, it's like the first topic I bring up to people. I'm like, you realize the Nazis were high on meth, right? Like, there was no meth back then. Uh, yeah, there was. You better believe there was some meth. There was definitely meth, Yeah. The baseball thing is amazing, though. I really feel like we need to explore that in a future episode. The uh, the usage usage of post war, especially the usage of bennies and, mm-hmm. and greenies, and you know, like people are always like, we don't have these people in the Hall of Fame. Listen, if you don't think Mickey Mantle was high as shit all the time, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mickey Mantle was drunk when he was playing baseball. Definitely, Babe Ruth definitely use something. Definitely. But it wasn't just beta. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like... Because athletes are always going to be athletes. And sport, sports are kind of like our war anyway, right? I mean, what do we have? You know? The NFL. <laughs> we don't have any fucking battles. So we got the NFL. Once a week. Dun, da, da, da. Commander Roger Godell. Yeah. Com- yeah. Yeah. Field General... Field Marshal Goodell. <laughs> oh my god. Alright. Well. Alright. Another one in the can. Another one in the can. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan wasn't here. Uh, we probably should have mentioned that from the beginning. But. Oh, he was wow. very quiet. He was just in the corner, you know, finger steeple, just listening and nodding the whole time. <laughs> finger steeple? Oh, like Burns. Yeah. Or like Lenny. Like Lenny. When Lenny's gonna when Lenny's like gonna win the award. <laughs> Pick me. I'm an urban Lenny. Oh my god. Alright, man. Alright. Till next time. Later. I'm hitting this. Till next time. I despise Keith Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs>